Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, or whenever you may be listening. Welcome to episode 18 of the Hang Time with Algy podcast. I'm your host, Luke Algerson. You know how we do it. Five topics, unpopular opinion. Let's get right into it. First topic that I want to get into today has got to be this story with the football team that plays in our nation's capital, the Washington football team, since they no longer have a name, formerly known as the Washington Redskins. And I guess karma just comes full circle for a football organization like this because the team had to change their name. They haven't announced what their name change is, but a report came out of sexual misconduct and sexual harassment within the organization. As a matter of fact, the Washington Redskins have launched an internal investigation after 15 former female employees and two journalists who covered the team accused team staffers of sexual harassment and verbal abuse. Now, it just, when it rains, it pours. It really does. And this joke of an organization just from top to bottom is just an absolute laughingstock. I just don't understand how Dan Snyder can keep his job after this. Whatever internal discussions they have and decide to do with the team moving forward, it it can't save them. It can't save them. This team is an absolute mess. They're an absolute travesty. They can't do anything right. The only thing they have done well so far is sign a good coach in Ron Rivera. You know, military guy, he should bring in a new atmosphere, new culture. This is a true chance for him to show what kind of leader he can be on and off the field when it comes to a football organization. But Dan Schneider's got to go. Like if there's this much conduct going on within your organization, he, he should be forced to step down. Not only have these 15 women come out and this was reported by the Washington Post They on uh, last Thursday. They report, uh, obtained screenshots of text messages um, from the team's assistant director of uh, pro personnel, Richard Mann II, made inappropriate sexual comments to females' employee, and he was fired last week. A former employee also accused Larry Michael, the team's former senior vice president of content and play-by-play announcer of talking about the attractiveness of a college intern in 2018 when he was being recorded for a team video. Uh, He retired last Wednesday. It's just, you know, I'm not surprised. Why am I not surprised? An organization like this who has really never done anything right, they don't do anything right, just would be associated with something like this of having staff that's inappropriate and all these other things. And I'm seeing other reports that not just with this sexual harassment case is Washington owner Dan Snyder abuses both alcohol and drugs. He's paying off officials, some refs alleging they've made $2 million off Snyder, also alluding to other owners doing similar things. Allegedly, Snyder and former coach Jay Gruden, brother of John Gruden, held their cheerleaders' passports from them in a foreign country in order to force them to solicit themselves to season ticket holders. Snyder also allegedly held nude photo shoots of the Washington cheerleaders. Snyder and Gruden allegedly held sex parties with rampant drug use and potential potentially some sexual assault. Sources also stated that Jay Gruden and former running back Capri Bibbs were at one time sleeping with the same woman. Gruden found out, got angry, benched Dibbs. The next game, Bibbs' replacement missed a key block, and that resulted in the injury of Alex Smith, 
who suffered one of the most gruesome leg injuries I've ever seen in my life. And he hasn't been on the field since. Smith has had 17 surgeries. This is all allegedly. I should say this. All of this is allegedly. But I think with definitely with the sexual harassment of these women of 15 coming forward, you know, clearly if they're going to fire two staff members and one guy retires, clearly it wasn't a retiring. They pushed him out the door. All of that is pretty much going to be confirmed. All of that is going to be confirmed and come out as accurate. It's all alleged right now, you know, innocent until proven guilty in the court of law. But where there's smoke, there's fire. And where there's fire, there's flame. And all, it just it just gets funnier and funnier every time you talk about this team. It's just an absolute embarrassment to the NFL. The NFL should try to distance themselves as much as much as possible from Dan Snyder, get him out as the owner of the Redskins. Problem is, my owners within the organization are trying to sell their stake. They're trying to figure out how they can get away from this dumpster fire. It's an absolute embarrassment, and the NFL needs to step in and do something about this. Because if if what I just said about the drug use and holding cheerleaders' passports and having sex parties. Look, I'm okay with how you want to live your life. But if you're going to solicit cheerleaders to have sex with season ticket holders, if you're going to have relationships and throw drug parties and do all of that, it's like, what kind of person are you? I uh, Live your life however you want. If you want to go out and have a good time, have a few booze, you know, do whatever, smoke a joint, you know, I'm not going to blame you. You know, go enjoy yourself. But if you're going to force people to have sex, do all these other things, it's just an absolute, absolute embarrassment. Absolute embarrassment. At this point, like I said, all of this is alleged. You know, nothing's been proven yet. But with text messages, clearly the sexual harassment is there. Clearly that is all there. But with this other stuff, like I said, where there's smoke, there's fire. And it just gets better. It just gets better. Well, worse and worse for this organization. You know, talking about it, I think it's an absolute, you know, riot to talk about. You know, it's ter- it's a terrible thing what's happening. But I- I've never liked the Redskins. I'm glad that we can just crap on them and make matters worse for them and put more pressure on them. Because they've been a terrible organization. From taking so long and dragging their feet to change their name from a racial slur to now sexual harassment to drug parties of with the owners and coaches. It just, how could it get any worse? How can it get any worse? The way it could get worse, at least for the Redskins, it probably will get better. Fire Schneider. Get him out of there. Get rid of him. He doesn't belong in the NFL. He's giving the NFL a bad name. He's giving that organization a bad reputation. I don't know anyone who likes Snyder. I know a few actually Washington football fans, and none of them like Snyder. During his time as owner, he's been terrible. The Redskins have been nothing short of awful in the entire time he's been there. Maybe if we get rid of him and new ownership comes in with a little integrity, little responsibility, little accountability, things might turn around for that football team. But as of right now, they're an absolute embarrassment, an absolute travesty, and uh, they should be ashamed. Absolutely ashamed. Absolutely appalled by these reports. It's just (laughs) 
unbelievable. Owner Dan Schneider and former team president Bruce Allen were not directly implicated in the sexual harassment allegations brought by the female employees reported by the Post, but Schneider was criticized for fostering a culture in which the behavior was permitted. And it makes sense. If the guy is doing this to cheerleaders, you know, he's rampant alcohol and drug use. It's just, are we surprised? Are we surprised he's allowing this culture to keep going? Mm. That Washington football team, let me tell you, they better get this name right. They need some positive publicity moving in their direction because it is not looking good for them. Second topic that I want to get to today. Folks, do we realize that we are currently playing baseball games right now? It's a little spring training 2.0 happening here in July, but games start Thursday. Opening night is Thursday, July 23rd. It's going down. Baseball is starting. I already gave my picks for who I think the five best teams are. I get, you know, told you who I think some sleepers will be. Now we're going to go by division. I don't want to pick division winners yet, but we're going to go a little division power rankings. Who's the best division in baseball as we're about to restart this season? And I think the worst division, we're going to start top to bottom. So six divisions, if you don't already know. The worst division, I got to say, has to be the American League Central. You know, the, the Twins are a very solid team. Like I said, I think they're one of the top teams to win. They got one of the best odds to win, 14-2 to odds, if I remember correctly. I don't, actually, that can't be right. Or is it 15-2? to two? Something like that. Anyways, the Twins, you know, they're clear favorites to win the American League Central. They added Josh Donaldson. They added right-hander Michael Pinata. It just, you know, you got got to like where they're at. They got one of the best offenses in the league. Uh, they were top of the division the entire way last year adding some depth adding talent is only going to make them better you gotta like their lineup Donaldson was great with the Braves last year I can only imagine he's going to get better in a hitter's ballpark that is Minnesota so twins are the favorite there but if you just look at it the Cleveland Indians they're going to be right there towards the top they still got Lindor still got a lot of nice guys but yeah, Twins are the clear favorite. Like I said, I think the White Sox are the surprise team. Uh, they'll definitely surprise a lot of people. They added Dallas Keuchel, Gio Gonzalez, Edwin Encarnacion. They have so many young guys who are up and coming. Luis Robert is, they're saying he's supposed to be the next Mike Trout. I've watched some videos of him. He's absolutely incredible. White Sox are going to surprise a lot of teams. I've been sold on them, even though I'm a Cubs fan. They're going to look really good. But the reason they're last is because of the other two teams in the division. The Tigers are an absolute joke. The Kansas City Royals, after winning the World Series just six years ago, are an absolute joke. Both of those teams are terrible. They lost 90-plus games last year. And luckily, they can't lose that many games this year because it's only a 60-game season. But those two teams hold this division down towards the bottom of the barrel. So coming in at six is the AL Central. Second worst division, might kind of surprise you with the pick, is the American League East. Now the Yankees are obviously the juggernaut. They're, you know, one of the favorites to win the World Series at seven to two odds. And they added Garrett Cole, you know, looking to claim their 28th championship. Regardless if it's a 60-game season, I think this championship will 100% count for something. I don't think we need to put an asterisk by it like we do the Astros championship, 
But Yankees are going to be really good this year. Tampa Bay is going to be really good this year. They surprised me last year. I didn't think they were going to be that good because, you know, they're Tampa Bay. They don't have any fans. They're kind of an irrelevant team. But they're really solid. You know, they added Jose Martinez, Hunter Renfro from the Padres. You just look at it, they're solid all around. They're a solid team. But then we look at these other three teams. Now, I know I said Toronto might be a surprise team, but they're still young and up and coming. And it's we'll see if they have the pitching. They added Hinju Ru. He's going to be the starter opening day already. But they got Vlad Guerrero Jr. They got Bo Bichette. They got a lot of young guys, but we'll see if they can turn the corner. And at this point, the Redskins, Redskin, excuse me, the Boston Red Sox, they're going to be on the decline. They got rid of Mookie Betts. David Price is gone. And obviously, one of the worst teams in the league, the Baltimore Orioles. So those three teams of Toronto, Red Sox, and Baltimore kind of holds this division back, and that's why I got them in as fifth. You know, the two top teams are very good. They're really good teams. But I'm going by this as overall competitive from top to bottom. How do these divisions rank? So coming in at fifth, the AL East. At number four is the National League West. Now, the Dodgers are the clear-cut favorite. By far, we've gone over this, you know, they got the best odds to win the World Series. They have one of the most deep rosters, got one of the best pitching staffs, one of the best bullpens. They're one of the most complete teams. You know, they won 106 games last year and they added Mookie Betts. David Price won't play this year for them, but they got talent all around. No doubt about that. But the rest of the division, you know, the Giants aren't very good. At this point, the Padres are such a young, up-and-coming team. It's hard to believe in them to really do something serious this year. I think Colorado will surprise people, but that's because they play in a hitter's ballpark. And, you know, the Diamondbacks, they won 85 games last year, but can they keep that going? Yeah, they added Madison Bumgarner, but does he still have it? Is, Is he still capable of being the leader of a starting rotation. Yeah, they added Starlin Marte too, but he's been a, a you know, he's been on the Pirates and you know, he's a really solid guy, all-star level player, but I, I'm not a believer in the Diamondbacks. So really, again, Dodgers are great, but kind of the rest of the division holds this holds them back. That's why I got AL East coming AL National League West coming in at fourth. At number three is the American League West. You know, they got the Houston Asterix at the top. What needs to be said about them? They still have a lot of good players. You know, you'd like to think they're still good, even if they don't know what pitch is coming. Uh, yeah, They might have lost Cole, but they still got Verlander, still got Grinky in that rotation. Uh, they still got a great core of hitters, Altuve, Correra, Giriel, you know, they they have talent. They have talent, but we'll see how they do with Garrett Cole uh, going to the Bronx Bombers. And uh, But you can never sleep on this o- Oakland Athletics team. They won 97 games last year. You know, they got one of the best third basemen in the league in Matt Chapman, uh, and he's a good hitter along with one of the best fielders in the league. They got Matt Olson on the other side there. 
you know, it's, you just never hear about them. That's why that you kind of don't realize how good they actually are. And then I think what makes this division really good is the Angels with obviously Mike Trout, the best player in the league. Otani's going to be great this year. They added Rendon. Pujols, I think, can have a solid year in a shortened season. Really comes down to pitching for them. That's that's what really hurts them. Pitching staff, 25th in baseball with a uh, 5.12 ERA last year. They, they just got to improve that pitching, and they can make some things happen. And I know another team that people are picking to be kind of a sleeper are the Texas Rangers. You know, they got that new ballpark. They added Todd Frazier. They got Corey Kluber from the Indians as well. They added some depth there. They added some depth. So I think that's what the Rangers could be a surprise this year. I think the Angels will be a surprise this year. Astros will be good. Athletics will be good. The only thing that holds this division back is the Mariners. It remains to be seen if they can ever have a put together a competent baseball team. Haven't made the playoffs in what, what are we going on? 20 plus years? And they won 68 games last year. They made no big moves. I don't expect much from the Mariners. So that's why I got the Astros coming in at number three. At number two, as far as competitive standpoint, I'm going to go with the National League East. The Atlanta Braves are obviously at the top. Uh, they added Azuna, which is kind of a big pickup. They did lose Donaldson, but added a nice closer in Will Smith. They're bringing in Cole Hamels from the Cubs. Uh, Felix Hernandez, unfortunately, won't be playing in the shortened season due to the coronavirus pandemic. So much young talent. So much young talent. There's a reason that they're one of the – they got great odds to win the World Series. They just have a stacked rotation. Uh stacked offense they got so much young talent the Braves the clear front runners to win the division um then just look at uh, who else is in the division you know the reigning World Series champions the Washington Nationals yeah they lost Rendon but still got Strasburg still got Scherzer Juan Soto's only gonna get better they, they got a lot of young talent too Rendon will be a big loss but it's it's been an organization at this point since Harper left that can show that they can plug and play guys and they'll step up when it matters most. So can't sleep on those Washington Nationals. And then Philadelphia Phillies. You know, they added D.D. Gregorius, added Zach Wheeler. You know, they took him away, took him away from the Mets. That's a big pickup. I think Bryce Harper will have a bounce back year. You know, they went 81 and 81 last year. But they could turn it around this year, and especially in a shortened season, if they start out hot, they could be a real problem. Phillies, those three teams right there are really good. And then, obviously, the mystery team is always this New York Mets team. You never know how to predict the New York Mets because they always seem to have a lot of solid players. You know, you would think they have a good rotation. You would think they got DeGrom, they got Syndergaard, they added Rick Porcello. You know, he he won the Cy Young back in 2016, but you would like to think moving to the National League could help him out a little bit. Just they got Pete Alfonso, the reigning rookie of the year. Cespedes is going to play this year. They still got Robinson Cano. They got Marcus Stroman. Like they got names. 
the names are there for them to be a solid team and surprise people. But at this point, they're the Mets. It's just kind of funny that you have to say it like that, but they're the Mets. You never know what they're going to give you. They got Wilson Ramos at catcher. The talent is there. The talent is there. Can they just put it all together? Can they really put it all together? Remains to be seen, but we're certainly going to find out. And then obviously, the reason that I don't have them as the toughest uh, division is because of the Miami Marlins. Another laughingstock team of the league. Just, you know, they try to add a few things, but it's the Marlins. Like, let's, let's not get too carried away. Yeah, added added a few guys, but they're not after losing 105 games, I don't see teams making that big a bounce back even with a shortened season. So, that's why I don't have them coming in at second in the top division in Major League Baseball has got to be the NL Central. And here's why. First, you know, Cubs they're my favorite team. Maybe a little bias coming here, but I just with the core that they have of Bryant, Rizzo, Baez, Contreras, Schwarber, it, that lineup is so potent. Hayward it can still do good things on the offensive end. I just love where the Cubs are as far as their roster is constructed. So spoke about them at length, and I really think they can get it done. But the reason, I, I just think it's so competitive. You know, the Reds are supposed to be a surprising team. They sign Moustakis away from the Brewers. They sign Nick Castellanos away from the Cubs, who I thought was really good for the Cubs, and I wish they re-signed. Added Pedro Strope, also netted Wade Miley. Don't sleep on this Reds team. I wanted to put them in as a sleeper the other day when I was talking about sleeper teams. They still got Votto. They got a lot of nice guys on this Reds roster that they could, they could come up and surprise a lot of people. And then, uh, obviously, the Brewers, I think, will be right there again. You know, they might have lost Grendahl and Moustakis, but they added Garcia. They got Smoke. They got Headley. They still have MVP front runner and one of the best players in the league. I think third best player in the league in Christian Yelich. They still have a pretty solid team that they can piece together. And, yeah, so the Brewers are going to be dangerous as well. And then that also leaves uh, my most hated team, but I'll give them the respect, is the St. Louis Cardinals. Yeah, they, they were they were pretty good last year. They, they're probably going to be pretty good this year, as they always are. And with 60 games, you never know what can happen. I just think this is the most wide-open division of all of them. You know, the Pirates, yeah, while they aren't great, I think they're better than the lower teams compared to the Marlins, compared to the lower teams of the NL West. And I think they're better than the Mariners. So that's why I do give the edge to the best division in baseball, to the National League Central. So to run it back, we have the worst division, AL Central, second worst, coming in at fifth is the AL East. Coming in at fourth, the National League West. Coming in at third, the American League West. And at second, the National League East. And the best division is the National League Central. And people, baseball starts Thursday. Opening night is Thursday. Fauci throwing out the first pitch for that Yankees national game to 
bring in the season that we've been waiting for, baseball. It's coming back. Let's get it started. Topic number three that I want to get to today is the NBA snitch line. Now, I know a lot of people have had different feelings about it of, you know, Dwight Howard was reporting for not wearing a face mask. And yeah, I've seen a lot of videos. Guys are following the guidelines, keeping their distance and, you know, wearing masks. You know, at least they're promoting it like that. You know, I see a lot of them fishing, playing uh, cornhole, just doing various different activities while they're out there in the bubble. And it looks like they're abiding by the rules. But I think the snitch line is very necessary. I think it really is because just got a report today that there were no coronavirus tests, no positive tests uh, since the last time results were released back on June 13th. No one has tested positive. There are currently zero coronavirus cases in the NBA bubble. So clearly the bubble is working. And this is why the hotline is so important. If someone is breaking the guidelines, it needs to be reported. Because if one thing happens, we've seen how quickly it's expanded throughout this country as a whole. The state I live in, my home state of Florida, is currently becoming the epicenter. But even in this epicenter, the NBA has shown if you can find people, put them in a bubble, you don't need it. But you need to report it. If guys are breaking rules and leaving the boundaries and going to do whatever, it needs to be reported. It could get a little hairy once we actually start playing games and guys are being reported for not doing this and that and then they start missing games. That's when it could become a factor, but I think there will be like a due process thing to where they'll get to explain like whatever the case may be. I I can't even think of what ifs at this point. The only thing I could think is uh, a former BGSU alumni, Richard Holmes, went to get Postmates went away from the boundary, just went right outside the boundary, and then had to self-quarantine for eight days. That needs to be reported. That's reason for a guy to have to sit out games. He left the boundary. You never know who he could come into contact with, where he's going, things of that nature. So I think the snitch line is necessary, but it could cause some problems. But I think, that, like I said, there's going to be a balance of... Well, what were you doing? There, it's not just going to be as, oh, someone calls the snitch line, reports that LeBron is not wearing a mask. Y- you know, in the Western Conference Finals Game 6, it gets reported LeBron's not wearing a mask. I don't think the NBA is just going to be like, okay, LeBron has to quarantine for this many days. No. There will be due diligence. Well, why wasn't he wearing a mask? For what reasons? You know, they're going to go through procedures And that's why I think the snitch line is necessary. You can't have anyone contaminate the bubble. You just can't. There's too much at stake. It's the billion-dollar bubble. They're trying to crown an NBA championship. They finally got it figured out. They finally got the equation put into place for them to be able to play games, keep guys healthy, constantly testing them, making sure they're in a healthy, safe environment. It's set. What's happening right now has shown that it can work, that it can be effective. You can't have anyone disrupt the bubble. So I think the snitch line is necessary. If you see guys breaking the rules, report it. But you also got to let them have fun. And they are having fun. Miles Leonard and Troy Daniels and some other guys were shotgunning beers. Have a good time. Enjoy it. It's kind of a home away from home vacation. 
you know, you're at Disney, have some fun. You know, you're surrounded by your teammates. Have some team bonding. Enjoy yourselves, but also do it safely and healthy so we can crown an NBA champion because that's what we need. That's what we're doing this for. We need to decide who an NBA champion is, and that's happening. So the snitch line is necessary, but of course, you never know what could happen. Could some guys just snitch to snitch? Well, then I feel like there will definitely be a process to where guys can plead their case of why, well, I went to do this. And at this point, that's how it's worked. Guys have left the bubble to attend to family matters like Zion Williamson. It's reported that he will be coming back. I imagine he's going to have to quarantine a few days, but it's just necessary. At this point, it is necessary for them to have a hotline like this because you can't have it break out because that'll cancel the season. If a ton of guys get it, it'll just cancel it, and then we're not going to have an NBA champion in the year 2020 which would be very unfortunate. They played all these games. They've gone through all this effort to figure out how to get it done. And if a couple guys are being negligent and ignoring the rules and just doing whatever the fuck they want, there could be real problems. So there needs to be a snitch line. So I think it's necessary. Is it a little ridiculous? Maybe, but very necessary if we want to crown an NBA champion. Fourth topic that I want to get to, the NFL and... COVID-19. Now, players have shown that they've had a lot of concerns here. A lot of concerns. Actually, as a matter of fact, the players have blasted the NFL on not giving any answers for how they're going to protect the player's safety and well-being with training camp starting. Do we realize training camp is supposed to start at the end of the month? All these sports are starting at the same time. Baseball starts on Thursday. NBA starts restarts on the 30th. And the NFL, they're, they're supposed to report to training camp the 28th, July 28th. Do we realize it? And yet, the NFL has not given any safety protocols on what they're doing. Some teams have announced limited capacity. Yeah, that's great. But what is the NFL doing to protect the players? And the players are speaking out. A lot of players went to Twitter. Drew Brees, Russell Wilson, J.J. Watt, Stephon Diggs. All speaking out and said the NFL's planning has been unacceptable. Drew Brees wrote, we need football. We need sports. We need hope. The NFL's unwillingness to follow the recommendations of their own medical experts will prevent that. If the NFL doesn't do their part to keep players healthy, there is no football in 2020. It's that simple. Get it done and tag the NFL. Russell Wilson wrote, I am concerned. My wife is pregnant, NFL training camp is about to start, and there is no clear plan on players' health and family safety. We want to play football, but we also want to protect our loved ones. J.J. Watt wrote this. Once again, in the interest of keeping everyone, players and fans, as informed as possible, here's an updated list of what we as players know and don't know as the first group gets set to report for training camp. And... He lists a bunch of different questions right here that players still have. And let's find a couple questions right here. He says, we want to play. We want to be as safe as possible. The NFL can mandate that players show up to training camp, regardless if any agreement has been reached between the NFL and the NFLPA. Uh, We still have not been granted the full and proper training camp 
assimilation period necessary as recommended by the medical and training staffs. We still do not know if there will be daily testing, every other day testing, etc. We still don't know if there will be preseason games or not. We still don't know how a positive COVID test will be handled in regards to others in close contact, you know, huddles, directly engage, whatever you may have. A strong and fair opt-out clause for those at higher risk or those with family members at higher risk has still not been agreed upon. If players do not show up on time, they can be fined or considered in breach of contract, even if health and safety protocols have not been agreed upon or uh, infectious disease emergency response plans have been approved. And then saying, we want to play. It just doesn't seem like they're given a lot of answers for the situation at hand. Like that, These guys want to play. Stefan Diggs wrote this. If Adam Silver can respect the voices and protect his NBA players, why can't the NFL commissioner do the same? Listen to your players. If we want to have a full season, it will have to look different with our safety as the priority. NFL makes the necessary changes. There's just so much that can go wrong with this many people. Just 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 think about it. Okay, so the NBA can go to a bubble. They only have 15 man rosters. They expanded it to 17. Okay, that's 17 players each team, 22 teams, not a lot of guys. And then you think about coaching staff. All right, they got mm, six coaches, uh training staff obviously for each team. So, you know, there's a a few hundred people. All right. Now, NFL rosters have 53-man rosters, and then coaching staffs of 10-plus people. And then you got to think about all the training personnel that goes into keeping up with an NFL team. There is so many people. I don't think you can put NFL teams in a bubble. I don't know how you can do it. What kind of place has the capacity to hold 30 teams with 53-man rosters? And obviously, injuries are going to happen. You're going to need replacements. So that's 60-man rosters. At the minimum, there's a reason they have practice squads. There's a reason they do all that. There's a reason they have such big rosters. Injuries happen. They're inevitable. It's the NFL. Guys get hurt. And the NFL has done nothing. They have done nothing. The only thing that I've heard is this: the NFL and players agree to daily COVID-19 testing for the two fir- first two weeks of training camp. That's it. That's it. That's all that's been agreed upon. Dr. Alan Sills, the league's chief medical officer, said that the agreement between the NFL and the NFL Players Association would require daily COVID-19 testing for the two first two weeks of training camp. After two weeks, if positive test rate is below 5%, the league would scale back testing every other day. If the positive test rate is not below 5%, they will continue with daily testing until such time as it falls below the number. If at any point during the training camp, the positivity rate rises to 5% or higher, that would trigger a return to daily testing. You know, the NFL doesn't know what they're doing at this point. And that's the problem. They had the luxury of time. All these other leagues had to just cancel and shut it down. And the NFL just kept going as business as usual. We expect the COVID-19 cases to die down and we'll just be able to have a season with full stands, full everything if we lock down, quarantine, and bubble and do all this other stuff in the population. Well, 
we're at this time and none of that is happening. As a matter of fact, COVID-19 cases are going up. They're rising in our country. They keep getting higher and higher. And I'm sure the NFL, it was a worst case scenario for them. They were just expecting, oh, we're just going to go back to business as usual once this COVID-19 blows over. Well, it hasn't blown over. It's actually become a major problem today. It's a huge issue. And now teams are stepping up and saying, well, we'll have limited capacity. Well, what is the NFL doing to ensure the player, uh, the safety of their players? They're not doing anything. They're not hearing anything. That's, that's the only news is that they're going to test them at training camp. Well, what if there's a positive test during the season? What then? How are we properly quarantining these players? We're not doing that. The NBA said we're going to a bubble. MLS said we're going to do a bubble for the MLS tournament. Major League Baseball has decided how they're handling things. The NFL, we've got nothing. They got no answers when it comes to how the NFL is going to handle things moving forward. None. And football season's right around the corner. They're reporting this week. They're reporting for training camp this week and next week. It's right on our doorstep. And they, they've just brushed it off. They've waited too long. They should have made moves way earlier, come up with this plan way earlier. I honestly think they forgot about it. I honestly think they were expecting that this virus was going to end and they weren't going to have to worry about it and the numbers were going to be low and it wasn't going to be an issue. Now that numbers are on the rise, it's an issue. It's a problem, especially when guys like Russell Wilson, they might not play if if. Your family could get sick. His wife is preg- pregnant. Sierra's pregnant. If he gets her sick and then gets the baby sick, oh, oh, that, it would be devastating for their family. The NFL needs answers, and there's not a lot of answers going on right now. So I'm 100% on the player's side. I got to tell you, in all these situations, I'm going to side with the players. The owners will never get it. The league as itself will never get it unless they do the right thing like the NBA did. But as of right now, the players are right they need answers. If you want them to report to training camp, you have to have more of a plan in place to tell them how we're handling the COVID-19 moving forward this season. Yeah, it's really nice for teams to tell us, oh, we're going to have limited capacity with fans. That's great for a fan like me to know. But how are you going to protect these players? What are you doing? And as of right now, great. They're going to test them at training camp. Well, how's testing going to go during the season? How is all of it going to work during the season when games start? No answers. They got nothing. We're quiet on it. I'm sure they're figuring out. I'm sure they're doing everything possible. But as of right now, it's an embarrassment on their part to be this far behind it when they've had this much time to plan, this much time to come up with ideas on how they can handle it. And they got nothing. Absolutely nothing. So figure it out, NFL. Figure it out because we want, we want football to come back. You know, these other sports figured it out. Baseball figured it out. Long and drawn out baseball. The negotiations were terrible, but baseball finally figured it out. Basketball, boom, problem solved. We're going to a bubble. MLS, we're going to have an MLS tournament and then go back to our regular season as we make up points. NFL is like, hmm, we'll see. Wait and see mentalities never get it done. You got to go out and you got to get things done. Anyways, topic number four. And maybe not the biggest topic, but I thought it was kind of interesting. The, the 
Canadian government denied the Toronto Blue Jays to be able to play in Canada. The Toronto Blue Jays will not be having home games at the Rogers Center. They approved for them to have uh, practice there as they warm up for the start of the season, but season starts on Friday, the 24th. And now the Blue Jays have to figure out where they're going to play, what they're going to do. Do they even have time? It's just absolutely absurd how quickly it happens. They petition to play games in Canada at the Rogers Center. They're currently having them stay at the hotel there. And um, I've read reports that even if they leave that bubble, they're fined $750,000 and possible jail time if they break that bubble. That's absurd to begin with. But then again, that's Canada, not the U.S., so... And clearly, you know, it's shown that the U.S., we don't have it figured out either with all these cases rising. But they're not going to be able to play in Canada. So now the question becomes, where are they going to play? Where is, Where are the Toronto Blue Jays going to play home games this year? And they only have this week to figure it out. Really only have this week? Games start so quickly. Uh, it's just it's crazy how quickly these things can come up and teams are just... Got to figure it out. Really got to figure it out. And um, literally, they're in Tampa Bay uh, for their first series on Friday night. So I guess they got a little time. And then they, they play the Nationals. And then they're supposed to be back in Canada. But they're not. Can't play in Canada. The Canadian government said, nope, you're not allowed. The Toronto Blue Jays are not going to be the Toronto Blue Jays this year. They're going to be someone else. And it's going to be, I'm very interested to see where they're going to play. And I'm seeing here the Toronto Blue Jays are in talks with the Pittsburgh Pirates about sharing the Major League Ballpark after the Canadian government barred them from playing their home games amid the coronavirus pandemic. I understand why Canada did it, you know, with teams traveling in. Uh, You don't want to take any chances of causing a possible outbreak or whatever might happen. You know, a lot of travel, different teams, a lot of different people, a lot of personnel coming in. I get it. You don't want the outbreak to get any bigger than it is. But, wow. It's just like they're they're going to be in a totally different city. Uh, they're going to be the Pittsburgh Blue Jays this year. I heard another possible destination they could play is Buffalo. The Buffalo Blue Jays has a nice ring to it. And you throw that on a Boba Shett jersey, <laughs> the BBBBBs. But, you know, Pirates play in one of the best ballparks in the country, PNC Park. Absolutely incredible. This is what uh, Pirates president Travis Wilson uh, confirmed, that there are talks and uh, sounded ready to welcome the Blue Jays. Uh, Here's the direct quote from him. In an effort to help in the return of the game we all love, we continue to have active discussions with Major League Baseball and the Toronto Blue Jays organization regarding the possibility of, of hosting games for the Blue Jays at PNC Park this season. This will be a monumental challenge for our staff by leaning in to help others is what Pittsburgh's Pittsburghians do best. If we're able to safely accommodate, not only will it bring additional 
international attention to our city. It'll also bring with it jobs and revenue for local hotels, restaurants, and other businesses that will support the Blue Jays organization, as well as additional visiting teams. Blue Jays manager Charlie Montoya said he was pleased to read what the Pirates said. He said that's encouraging that they feel that way about us coming. Going to Pittsburgh, that's a beautiful ballpark. I already bought 10 Roberto Clemente t-shirts that I brought with me for some reason. It's just... It's very shocking that just Canada's just like, nope, Americans aren't allowed to come here. Just shut that down right now. Y'all can practice here for the meantime, but y'all are not coming here. The Other teams are not coming here. You got to go elsewhere. You got to go figure it out. We don't don't care about that. So clearly Canada is not worried about sports right now like the USA is in trying to get things started. So... A possible other place that I've seen is they could go back to their Florida home of Dunedin, where their spring training facility is. And I worked over there with the Dunedin Blue Jays, the single A affiliate of the Toronto Blue Jays. Nice facility over there. They could definitely accommodate that. It's not that it matters. They're not playing with fans anyways. Just the only issue is Florida's at this point an epicenter of the coronavirus pandemic. You know, we're just going up in cases every day. We're averaging like 10,000 cases a day. It's absolutely ridiculous. I assume everyone's just coughing on everyone. But that's another possible place that they could play just because players are familiar with the area. They're familiar with what's going on there. They were there earlier this year in February. Circumstances are obviously a lot different. But familiar with the area. Saw Vlad Jr. play there. Saw Bo Bichette play there. Saw Kevin Biggio play there. Uh, uh, guys would be comfortable playing there. It just would be extremely obscure to be playing at your spring training facility and having major league teams roll in there. And it's just up the road from the Tampa Bay Rays. So I guess Florida then would have three major league baseball teams. I'm all for it. I'm all for it. Go to Dunedin. But, you know, Florida just, we're reckless over here. We're reckless here in Florida. We don't know what we're doing. So Jay's got a lot of things to figure out, and they haven't made an official announcement. But what it's looking like from the reports here is they're probably going to play in Pittsburgh, and I'm sure that would be the easiest move rather than coming all the way to Florida from Toronto. It's a long way to get up and move and plan on having a season here. Pittsburgh's a little closer, obviously, being up there in the northeast of the country, kind of where Toronto is. Just make the things easier on them. It'd also be playing in a major league ballpark. So I think the best uh, situation they could possibly do is be playing in Pittsburgh this coming season. But just just baffling. It's very baffling that an NBA team will not be uh, NBA team, MLB team will not be able to play their home games in their home stadium. Yeah, but this is unprecedented times, people. Unprecedented times call for unprecedented solutions. So I'm just glad baseball's coming back. Baseball's coming back Thursday, and everyone's going to be playing on Friday. This week, let's get it started. Those are the five topics. Now, my unpopular opinion that I want to get to is we're going back to the NBA with this. And this has nothing to do with the player. This has everything to do with an organization. And my unpopular opinion is who is the worst NBA organization of all time? I kind of went into the 
uh, Instagram comments with this. I made a comment on who I thought was the worst. And my unpopular opinion is that the Minnesota Timberwolves are the worst organization in the NBA. Overall, I think it's the Timberwolves. And the reason I think this, just look at the embarrassment that they have. This all came about when um, I saw a post that said, think about how the Timberwolves must be feeling now that uh, Jimmy Butler was there for 56 games and they traded Zach Levine, Laurie Malkinen, uh, Markinen and Chris Dunn just for Jimmy, 56 games of Jimmy Butler. Now, at the time, you got to think it's a good trade. You don't know what Jimmy Butler's going to do, how he's going to work with the guys, but he's an all-star level player. Pairing him with Towns and Wiggins, you know, that's a pretty good three-headed monster to make some things happen. So, you know, maybe was it the right trade at the time? Yeah, I think so. I think it was a good move, but... God, and and excuse me, he played 59 games, but wow, when you look overall, and it was the first time they made the playoffs when they made the move, traded for him, and they finally made the playoffs, and just think about it, it was the first time that they've made the playoffs since Kevin Garnett was the superstar of the team all the way back in 2003-2004, that was the last time they made the playoffs until Jimmy Butler was on the team. Now, with Jimmy Butler gone, and Wiggins now gone, and bringing in Russell, and I know Towns was hurt this year. Russell wasn't there all year. They're one of the worst teams in the league. But I'm not just going off this season and recent seasons. It goes all the way back to when this team started. They were founded back in 1989 after an expansion draft organized by the officials of the league. In almost 30 years of existence, they've managed to get to the playoffs just nine times. Nine times. While winning only 941 games out of 2,365 played. Let's put that in perspective right here. NBA legend Tim Duncan, who played for the San Antonio Spurs, got into the league in 1997. Eight years after the Timberwolves were introduced as a team. Duncan played from 1997 until 2016. In his 18 seasons, Duncan won 1,001 games, 60 more than the entire organization that is the Minnesota Timberwolves. That's not including games this year, but my God, one player in his 18-year career has more wins than an organization that has been around for 30 years. Good Lord, that's atrocious. That's terrible. Oh, it gets worse. Maybe some will say that the NBA, uh, that there are 30 teams, only 16 qualify for the playoffs. So every year, 14 teams, you know, don't make it and their season ends early. That's true. Uh, With the right moves, a bad team can become really good. Take Golden State, for example, you know, they figured it out. They drafted well. They brought in Steph Curry, drafted Klay Thompson, drafted Draymond Green, drafted Harrison, Harrison Barnes, won a championship in 2015. You know, they turned things around, and they were good back in the day, too. You know, they had Rick Barry. You know, they had the Believe team with Baron Davis in the crew. But the only great choice that Minnesota has done drafting-wise is drafting Kevin Durant, uh, Kevin Durant, Kevin Garnett, 
back in 1995. He ended up being the greatest player in the team's history, in their atrocious history. And I think Kevin Garnett, for sure a Hall of Famer, one of the best power forwards ever to play. He's the third best power forward of all time. You know, he's a beast. You know, he deserves the recognition he needs. But he's their best player. And that's not to discredit him. He's a good player. You know, it's okay having Kevin Garnett as the best player of your organization. But let's just take a look at some of the bad choices that this organization has made. In in the 2006 draft, the Timberwolves selected Brandon Roy with the sixth pick. If we look at the other list of players who came into the league in that draft, we see Rudy Gay was the 8th pick, J.J. Redick was the 11th, Rajon Rondo was the 21st, Kyle Lowry was the 24th. More than that, they didn't even keep Brandon Roy. They actually traded him to the Portland Trailblazers for nothing. They got nothing for him. Okay, let's move to 2007. They selected Corey Brewer with the 7th pick. Joe Kim Noah who just came off winning back-to-back national titles at Florida, was the ninth choice by the Bulls. In the next season, 2008, with the third pick, they selected O.J. Mayo and traded him to the Memphis Grizzlies. While Mayo was a nice player, they did win the trade by trading for Kevin Love. Okay, Kevin Love is the second-best player in Minnesota Timberwolves history, if we're going to put it rightly. Kevin Love, yeah, he's an all-star player but a guy who is consistently injured and had some solid seasons with the Timberwolves but never got them to the playoffs. The trade was more complicated than that, but, you know, it was love for O.J. Mayo, and he's their second-best player in franchise history. So that was indeed a good choice, but uh, what would happen if Minnesota selected Russell Westbrook instead of going after Kevin Love? They had a chance to draft him. But the Supersonics drafted him and drafted Westbrook instead. Okay, so, yeah, they made the right move there. But let's keep moving. In 2009, <laughs> oh, it just, I just don't know what this organization thinks. I really don't know. This is the most embarrassing thing I've ever heard right here. 2009, after a series of trades, the Timberwolves ended up with the 5th pick, the 6th pick, the 18th pick, and the 28th pick in the draft. With the 5th pick, they took Ricky Rubio. Solid role player point guard. Okay. With the 6th pick, they decided to take Johnny Flynn, a point guard out of Syracuse. Now, I thought Flynn was going to be, you know, an okay NBA player, but they picked two point guards ahead of the first unanimous MVP in Steph Curry. They had a chance to draft Steph Curry. They had a chance to do it twice. And they passed on him twice. For two guys who... Johnny Flynn, I, I don't know where he is. I don't even know if he's playing professionally anymore. But I know Ricky Rubio. He's on the Suns. He's a decent player. He's not anything Hall of Fame worthy like Steph Curry is. He's nowhere near in the MVP conversation. He's not a top player in the league like Steph Curry. And... You don't even have to just go with Steph Curry. You just look at other guys who were drafted. DeMar DeRozan, Drew Holiday, Jeff Teague, Patrick Beverly. All of them are better than Ricky Rubio. And they passed on them and elected to pick Rubio. I know he was a young, up-and-coming player out of Spain. Looked like he was going to be solid. But how could you pat? How could you pick two point guards and not one of them name is Steph Curry? He blew up in the NCAA tournament. He went off. 
he carried a weak Davidson team to, I believe, the Elite Eight and lost to the eventual national champion, Kansas Jayhawks. And and they passed on him. They passed. That twice they passed twice. Uh, but it, it just gets even worse for this team. Again, you know, after the horrible mistake the next season, it, they got the fourth pick. They blew it by drafting Wesley Johnson out of Syracuse. I don't, they must have Syracuse ties because picking Johnny Flynn and then picking Wesley Johnson, they must have thought they were going to build something nice out of Syracuse. But they could have had DeMarcus Cousins, Gordon Hayward, or Paul George. In 2011, the Timberwolves selected Derek Williams with the second pick out of Arizona. They could have had players like Kemba Walker, Clay Thompson, Kawhi Leonard, Nikola Vucevic, Jimmy Butler, Jonan Valanciunas. In 2013, with the ninth pick, they selected Trey Burke and traded him immediately to the Utah Jazz in exchange for Shabazz Muhammad. With the 12th pick, uh, was selected Stephen Adams. In that same draft in 2013, Giannis Antetokounmpo. In 2015, they had the first pick again, and they selected Carl Anthony Towns, who, you know, at this point, might go down as better than Kevin Love, but that remains to be seen. It just it just shows how poor management is at picking players. Now, I know the draft is tough because you got to pick guys who come into the right circ- the right situation, develop them properly. Like where people know that Giannis was going to be one of the best players in the league, probably not. Not a lot of teams probably had that vision. You know that goes with Ka- Kawhi Leonard, but God with the, with the names. You know, hindsight is always twenty twenty, but there's just so much more talent than the names that they picked. So much more talent. Like, they went Wesley Johnson over Cousins, Hayward, and George. They picked Derek Williams over Kemba Walker, who just won a national title. Clay Thompson, Kawhi Leonard, Nikola Vucevic, Jimmy Butler. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know how you can miss on a, in a draft so much. It just shows how piss poor this organization is managed uh, that, okay but we'll give them we're going to give them some credit i don't want to just keep pooping on this organization cuz i i do think they're the worst and i want to plead my case but we'll we'll give them a little excitement here they made the playoffs eight consecutive seasons from 1997 to 2004 but with kg as a star player but they were eliminated in the first round every year until finally making a trip to the Western Conference Finals in 2004, when they thought they were going to turn the team around. And you should go check out SB Nation on the collapse of the Timberwolves. They were just in the Western Conference Finals, and then boom, right back, not making the playoffs. They hadn't made the playoffs since 2004, until they acquired Jimmy Butler just a couple years ago. But that was the last time they made the playoffs. In fact, they hadn't had a winning season since 2004-2005. Making the eight playoff trips in 26 years, uh, just a special kind of incompetence. Overall, the team has a franchise winning percentage of 391. And it could come as no surprise that Garnett is the best player, obviously. But even their top 10 list of VORP, which is, uh, you know, just got to love these Harvard stack guys coming in, coming up with their all numbers and stuff. 
Gorgie Jang is 10th in Vorp in the franchise with 5.5. Gorgie Jang. I think he's a solid role player. But if you're a franchise, he should have no business being in the top 10 anything. Anything in the organization. Uh, I just, ugh. And just think about the names. Like, at least some of these other organizations have star players. Like, who, who else would you consider the bottom feeders? I would say Clippers are there, but they're now in finals contention. They had Lob City. You know, they've had years on the rise. Memphis Grizzlies, they had grit and grind. Some solid players. Conley, Marcus All, Zach Randolph. You know, they've at least made the playoffs and won playoff series in recent memory. They're, you know, they're not good, but they've at least been all right. We've at least seen them be good. Another team, the Charlotte Hornets, were a team that's often mentioned as one of the worst. You know, they at least has all-stars. You know, they had Kemba Walker at one time before he went to Boston. They, they had Alonzo Mourning, Baron Davis, Kevin Johnson. Like, they had names. They had guys. Timberwolves. They even just have a short list of greats. Kevin Garnett, Stephon Marbury, Latrell Sprewell. That's it. There's not a lot of superstars that have even come out of Minnesota. For all those reasons, that is why I think the Timberwolves are by far the worst organization in NBA history. And that is the end of episode 18 of the Hang Time with Helgi podcast. Thanks for listening. Until next time, you know, be safe out there. And remember, during this COVID pandemic, wash your damn hands. All right, I'm out. Peace.